0: listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes.
1: So what I've got here is the Gesta Romanorum. I'm
0: excited.
1: Which means the deeds of the Romans, but that is... A misleading title because what it actually is is a kind of miscellaneous collection of medieval fables and folklore and little stories that are frequently attributed to the Romans and sometimes actually are from classical sources but mostly it's a clearly medieval tale that just begins with in the reign of emperor whatever and half the time it's even a real emperor.
0: Oh wow okay so this is like fairyland, basically. Like, we're, we're talking about, like, ahistorical times.
1: Yes, it is completely ahistorical. And there's a lot in here. It's very, it's very dense. You can see my my book is full of little paper tabs, and each one yes. of those is a story that I think is worth reading.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So we can probably get several episodes out of this, but we should space them out, because yes. we don't need to do them all at once, because there's no <laughs> continuity.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. So it's sort of like... Aesop's fables, but with less moral lesson.
1: The way I would describe it is, it is like Aesop's fables, except instead of a like quick, snappy, relevant moral like Aesop does, they have a very uh, medieval approach to that, and they've replaced <laughs> they've replaced the morals with the delightful technique of biblical exegesis.
0: Oh, all right, all right.
1: So every every story has then a moral that's just a really long thing. That's like the emperor represents God and the virtuous woman represents Mary. Oh,
0: fantastic. So they are laying it out for us.
1: Yes. Except again, these are just miscellaneous fables and folklore. So they're adding these morals after the fact and just kind of shoehorning them in.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And just to give you an idea of how unfortunate this decision is uh, of the way they are presenting their morals. The translator, the Victorian-era translator of the text of here, after a few of them, he legitimately says, you get the idea. I'm going to start shortening these.
0: Because we don't need the whole thing. That's fantastic. So even the Victorians were sick of it.
1: Yeah, because it's really repetitive. And, I mean, you've seen the kind of medieval, like, what is it? Fourfold exegetical works. and Oh, just yeah. Little... Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. All right.
1: So, I'm just going to go through in the ones I've marked, and we'll see how many we can fit in before we start running out of time.
0: Okay. Sounds good.
1: So, tale 12, which is entitled A Bad Example. It starts in the reign of Otho, which is a real emperor this time, which is nice. But... It should be taken into account that this is a story about a Christian church, and Otho reigned in the year 69, when Christianity was very much not a regular part of the fabric of the empire. Okay. Like, it was still pretty fringe.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And also, you notice that I didn't say from 69 to some other year. Uh Uh-huh. Because Otho was one of the emperors in the year of the four emperors.
0: (laughs) Ha! We love those guys.
1: So the reign of Otho is like a few months. So I'm going to go ahead and say this: is, they just picked an emperor from the list.
0: That would make sense. Like, which, which guy can we pick for this one? Okay. Otho sounds good.
1: There was an Emperor Otto of the Holy Roman Empire, which they may have meant, but they definitely say Otho.
0: Okay. Noted.
1: In the reign of Otho, there was a certain slippery priest who created much disturbance among his parishioners, and many were extremely scandalized.
0: Oh dear! Off to a great start.
1: And like last time, I'm just reading straight through because not only are they very short stories, but like I said, the, it's a Victorian translation, so it's public domain.
0: Oh yeah. Oh great. So, and note for our, I suppose, our, our listeners who are less familiar with the, kind of the history of, of the church, sixty nine, like you were saying, it's. Christianity has not been very well established. So the idea that there's a church and parishioners and a priest already is a historical to, to begin yeah.
1: with. Yeah. It makes no sense. No, that, that would be, I'm trying to think of a sufficiently fringe religion that I could use as an example of the modern day.
0: I don't know. Would, would the pagans count? Or I'm thinking, I'm trying to think like Zoroastrian. Cause that's still around to a, to a little. It is up. still
1: around. Um, yeah, it would be like if, like, one chapter of a neo-pagan church was being written about like they were the main religion of the country.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: One of them, the parishioners, in particular, always absented himself from Mass when it fell to the to the slippery priest's turn to celebrate it. Now, it happened on a festival day during the time of Mass that as this person was walking alone through a meadow, a sudden thirst came upon him, insomuch that he was persuaded... Unless present relief could be obtained, he should die. In this extremity, continuing his walk, he discovered a rivulet of the purest water, of which he copiously drank. But the more he drank, the more violent became his thirst. Surprised at so unusual an occurrence, he said to himself, I will find out the source of this rivulet, and there satisfy my thirst. So, drama, drama, drama. Uh, He's thirsty. And there's a stream.
0: And there's a stream.
1: You can really feel the, the 19th century translation kicking in.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. I sense some magic is afoot.
1: As he proceeded, an old man of majestic appearance met him.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: One of these days, I'm going to make you do a spit take.
0: At some point. At some point. You'll get there.
1: The old man of majestic appearance said, My friend, where are you going? The other answered, I am oppressed by an excessive drought, surpassing even belief. I discovered a little stream of water and drank of it plentifully. But the more I drank, the more I thirsted. So I am endeavouring to find its source, that I may drink there, and if it be possible, deliver myself from the torment. The old man pointed with his finger. There, said he, is the springhead of the rivulet. But tell me, mine honest friend, why are you not at church? And with other good Christians celebrating Mass.
0: <laughs> oh, yes.
1: The man answered, truly, Master. I don't know why he's Master all of a sudden. You just met this guy. Like, is his appearance that majestic?
0: <laughs> well, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's like a wizard, I suppose. Like, you come upon this gloriously dressed man. He just, he deserves the honor.
1: One of the things that I think is recurring here that I picked up kind of under the influence of uh, Richard Firth Green's work on fairy tales. Future Mac here. The book that past Mac is failing to appropriately cite is titled Elf Queens and Holy Friars. He did get the author right. It is Richard Firth Green. Thank you.
0: Okay, yeah. Is it?
1: A lot of these stories were clearly originally about encounters with the Fae, but that's, that's verboten now. And so,
0: right, so it got written over. Yeah,
1: and so, uh, either they're replaced with mortals who just happen to know stuff, or if they're so overtly magical that they can't avoid it, they just replace all the, all the times fairies are mentioned with demons.
0: Oh, that would work. That's clever.
1: But it means that we have unusual things like a group of demons living in a beautiful house by a lake in a later story. And it's like, that's that's not a thing demons do. That's no, a thing that's, fairies that's do. No, that's
0: the fae. Mm-hmm. hmm
1: But anyway, this old man, who is definitely just an old man now, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, just like Odin's an old man in all the Norse sagas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hint, hint, wink, wink.
1: But he says, the, the stream starts over there. And the man explains that he's not... At Mass, because their priest leads such an execrable life that I think it utterly impossible he should celebrate it, i.e., Mass, so as to please God. To which the old man returned Suppose what you say is true. Observe this fountain, from which so much excellent water issues, and from which you have so lately drunk. Would you like to guess what the source of the fountain is?
0: I mean, I want to say, like a baptismal head or something? Or is it from the church itself?
1: Ah, you're thinking too too concretely. Oh dear. Because this is making an abstruse theological point. And so
0: Oh yes, yes, I did forget about that.
1: In fact, when the man looks in the direction pointed out, he beheld a putrid dog, with his mouth wide open.
0: Oh no And its
1: teeth black and <laughs> decayed, through which the whole fountain gushed in a surprising manner. Yikes. So Either an ill or a dead dog, it's not clear what putrid means in this context. It's just ejecting a fountain from its mouth. The man regarded the stream with great terror and confusion of mind, which seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. Ardently desirous of quenching his thirst, but apprehensive of poison from the fetid and loathsome carcass, okay, so it is a, uh, a corpse, mm-hmm. with which to all appearance the water was imbued. Be not afraid, said the old man, regarding his repugnance, because thou hast already drank of the rivulet. Drink again, it will not harm thee.
0: I mean, in for a penny, in for a pound.
1: Okay. Encouraged by these assurances, and impelled by the intensity of his thirst, maybe I've just lived a privileged life, but I don't think I've ever been so thirsty that I would drink from a corpse's mouth.
0: Yeah, no, no, never, never been that thirsty.
1: But he partook of it once more, and instantly recovered from the drought. Oh, master, cried he, never man drank of such delicious water. The old man answered, See now, as this water, gushing through the mouth of a putrid dog, is neither polluted nor loses aught of its natural taste or color, so is the celebration of mass by a worthless minister.
0: Oh, wow! <laughs>
1: <laughs> and therefore... Though the vices of such men may displease and disgust, yet should you not forsake the duties of which they are the appointed organ.
0: Oh, no. So, get your butt to church, is what he's saying.
1: Saying these words, the old man disappeared. (laughs) And what the other had seen, he communicated to his neighbors, and ever after punctually attended mass. He brought this unstable and transitory life to a good end, and passed from that which is corruptible to inherit incorruption which may our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, grant to all. Then it is. And then there's, like, Uh just as much text of exegesis, which I'm not going to read. Wow.
0: It's... And the original has all that exegesis. Yeah. Wow. It's not that difficult to understand. No.
1: Presumably... Did
0: someone... Is this... It seems like it would be like a school drill. Yeah. To write out the exegesis.
1: It could be. My like, theory on this is that some of these, like, probably this one, are actually written by clergymen or particularly devout people for the purpose of communicating some theological point. hmm But, like I said, not all of them are. Some of them are clearly just stories people tell.
0: Okay, yeah. And so
1: every one of them has to have whoever compiled all these explaining what you're supposed to take from them in case you get the wrong idea. Wow. Also, something that a lot of them have is this attitude of you have to respect the church. You do not question the church. You do not question the clergy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't don't ask questions. Don't.
0: It's a very Catholic attitude.
1: Yeah, don't do anything heterodox.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the mm-hmm. whole
1: point of this is, even if your priest is super sketchy, he's still your priest, and you still go and hear his mass, and you don't avoid
0: him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow especially because i mean people at that time didn't have the mobility to you know go find another church like you had one parish in your area and that's what you go to right. you know you don't skip mass
1: at this one they do mention that there's like some sort of rotation and that it is different priests so he's not skipping mass every yeah, time right but it's still kind of a it's a moral that i think is very definitely something coming from above to try and keep people in their place
0: mhm mhm definitely that's interesting A putrid dog.
1: Just so you get, like, kind of uh, a sense of the biblical things, I'm just going to start at some random point in the exegesis and read a few sentences. And as in a dog, there are four excellent qualities described in the following couplet. And then there's a Latin couplet, but the translation is, In a dog, there are four things. A medicinal tongue, a distinguishing nose, an unshaken love, and unremitting watchfulness. So priests, who would be useful in their station, ought diligently to cultivate these four properties. First, that their tongue possess the power of a physician in healing the sick at heart and probing the wounds of sin, being careful at the same time that too rough a treatment does not exacerbate rather than cure, for it is the nature of dogs to lick the body's wounds. Secondly, as a dog by keenness (laughs) of sin distinguishes a fox from a hare, so a priest, by the quickness of his perception and auricular disclosures, should discover what portion of them appertains to the cunning of the fox, that is, to heretical and sophistical perverseness. And it goes on like that.
0: Wow. That's astounding. Yeah. I feel like it's it's very interesting because we've all had that English teacher who said, like, the curtains that are blue represent the character's depression and internal turmoil. It's like, no, 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 the curtains were blue because the author thought blue was an appropriate color for his bedroom. Like, that's it. That's it. But in, in these... I, you understand the basic exegetical point, but I would have never have thought of like the dog has four qualities. Like, is this is this something that like who was being taught that the dog has four primary qualities? Where where does that come I have from? No
1: idea. But I mean, that is a very medieval thing. They wanted to put like they wanted to organize everything, but they had like yeah, a very yeah. different perspective than us on how it should be organized. They'd be like, mm-hmm. "All right, here's the." Here's the chain of being. This animal is better than this animal.
0: Yeah, yeah. It fits in Aristotle's great chain of being. And even then, I mean, that went all the way through into the 18th century. That sort of organizing and taxonomy. And that's where we get, you know, our modern day scientific taxonomy. But it was interesting to me as I was going through... What was I reading? Oh, it was from one of my papers, this term. But it was about bestiaries and how those were organized and how oh it was for beowulf obviously and how bestiaries are organized and how when you categorized a monster their physical also represented something moral Yep. about them so everything about you represents something physical and moral so the way i mean that's why the way you dressed was important or the way you carried yourself was important and like even later on Maybe even through the Victorian period, it was like, oh, well, if a woman puts, you know, a, a false mole on her cheek in this position, or if she puts it on the other side of her lip, it represents whether she's single or it represents, yeah, there's like, there's a whole language to that. Uh, sort of like how you wear a, a clatter ring mm-hmm. in Ireland, if you're familiar with that, if you have it on one hand versus the other, if it's facing out, you're single, if it's turned around, you're engaged, or married. It's I married, mean, it's the same thing, but with makeup. And so that comes from... The medieval taxonomy and medieval moral, I guess it's a moral taxonomy yeah. of, you know, how to classify every living creature. Yeah. That's so interesting.
1: Bestiaries are also something I was thinking of there, because I, I remember the first time I read a medieval bestiary, I, finding it really trippy, that it, would, it would always go like, so this is what an eagle is. And here's what an eagle means.
0: hmm hmm
1: <laughs> Can it not exactly. just be a bird?
0: You no, know, it can never be, just be a bird. I mean, if it flies over, that's like, it's divination in its most basic sense. Like, oh, if it's going this direction, or if it's going towards the storm cloud, you're in for a bad time. You know. Oh, man. Okay. On to our next strange, exegetical fairy tale.
1: And it looks like I've put a little paper tab on the very next tale, which is tale 13 of Inordinate Ooh. Love. Oh, my. A certain emperor... They ran out of names, I guess.
0: You yeah, know, there's a bunch of them. Yeah.
1: You know, one of them, one of It doesn't one matter, them. it doesn't matter. <laughs> you just have to know Romans. Romans. A certain emperor was strongly attached to a beautiful wife. In the first year of their marriage, she was delivered of a son upon whom she doted with extravagant fondness. When the child had completed its third year, the king died, for whose death great lamentation was made throughout the whole kingdom. The queen bewailed him bitterly, and after his remains were deposited in the royal sepulcher, took up her residence in another part of the country, accompanied by her son. So far, so wholesome.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: That stops now.
0: Yes. (laughs) Wouldn't be a medieval tale without getting increasingly gruesome as we go on.
1: Gruesome is maybe not the word, but it's definitely unsettling. So, um content warning if anyone has like issues with going to try and think of the right word, sexual irregularity. Ah, this child became the object of an affection so violent that no consideration could induce her to leave him, and they invariably occupied the same bed even till the boy had attained his eighteenth year.
0: Oh no, this is not going a good way.
1: (laughs) It is not. Now, when the devil perceived the irregular attachment of the mother and the filial return exhibited by the son, he insinuated black and unnatural thoughts into their minds.
0: (laughs) So it's never their fault.
1: No, it was the devil.
0: It was the devil.
1: And from time to time, repeating his detestable solicitation This is why I love uh, the Victorian translations, because it has <laughs> phrases Very like dramatic. Uh, repeating his detestable solicitations finally overthrew them. The queen became pregnant, and the unhappy son, filled with the deepest horror, and writhing beneath the most intolerable agony, quitted the kingdom and never was heard from again. In due time, The queen was delivered of a lovely female, whom her eyes no sooner beheld than. And then we have this little parenthetical. Mark! Ye who dream that one dereliction from virtue may be tried with impunity.
0: Mark! (laughs) Just to hammer the point a little bit harder.
1: Also, I like the use of the term Mark because it sounds like we're yelling at someone named Mark rather than saying pay attention.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So, Mark, you know what you did. Yes. Desperate at the remembrance of her fearful crime and apprehensive of detection, she snatched up a knife that lay beside her. And, again, content warning. I think you can figure out what content I'm warning you about. Feel free to skip mm-hmm. ahead a bit. And plunged it into the infant's breast, not complete with this exhibition of maternal inhumanity, She cut it directly across the throat, from whence the blood rapidly gushed forth, and falling upon the palm of her left hand, distinctly impressed four circular lines, which no human power could erase.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Alright, so, parts of this kind of make sense. Like, you can see, okay, there's, like, this is not the end of the story. I'm just stopping because this is something that... I'm stuck on I get that okay your sin has marked you in some supernatural way fine mm-hmm. what is a circular line and how
0: That's what I was about <laughs> to that's what I was trying to figure out <laughs> Like, I guess instead of, like, circles of blood on her palm, it's like, it's like the outline of a circle. Like, it's just the line that's in a circular shape. That's... Like, yeah. you know, like the Olympic rings, you know, except you got four of them.
1: I guess that must be what they mean, because I can't think of any other interpretation, but that's just a weird phrase.
0: Are they interlocking? Is it, like, chains? I don't know. What does the exegesis say? <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs>
1: I'm going to flip ahead and... Get- we have
0: an exegesis for this reason.
1: There is. But here's what it says. Um, oh, no. There, there's a there's a really brief, like, the emperor is Jesus, etc., etc. Because the emperor is always Jesus or God. Because mm. emperor. Um, right. Emperor. But after, like, a paragraph, the translator re- just replaces everything with a bracketed statement that says... There are two moralizations to this story, but there is nothing in either worth examination.
0: Oh, wow. So that is lost.
1: I mean, I'm sure the um, the original Latin is probably out there somewhere. It's still
0: there, yeah. But this, the, tra- oh, the translator funny. was
1: just like, this is nonsense. He, he's not getting into it. He's done. <laughs> I'm not translating that. That
0: is so funny. Okay. Given that the emperor is Jesus, like... I'm sitting on this idea that she was so in love with Jesus that, like, she screws her son, which maybe the text will elaborate on, but that just seems a little, like, I feel like we're flipping the moralization to, because I, I don't think any priest at this time would be like, yes, we are, you know, we want to have that sort of communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't think we want to go that far.
1: No, pr- well, you can ask Marjorie Kemp about that. <laughs>
0: True. Oh, no. Oh, my. But
1: back to the narrative.
0: Back to the narrative.
1: Terrified, not less at the singular consequence of her guilt than at the guilt itself, she carefully concealed this awful and mysterious evidence and dedicated herself for life to the service of the Blessed Virgin. Yet, though penitent for what she had done, and regularly every 15th morning duly confessed, she scrupulously avoided any disclosure relating to that horrid transaction. She distributed alms with the most unbounded liberality, and the people, experiencing her kindness and benevolence, evinced towards her the greatest respect and love. It happened on a certain night, as her confessor knelt at his devotions, repeating five times aloud the Ave Maria, that the Blessed Virgin herself appeared to him and said, I am the Virgin Mary, which I guess is helpful because maybe she's not immediately recognizable. Good to introduce yourself, even if you are a supernatural apparition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very true. And I have an important communication to make to thee. The confessor...
0: Does does the text actually say that? An important communication to make to thee? Wow! I love that.
1: (laughs) The confessor, full of joy, answered... O dear lady, wherein can thy servant please thee?' She replied, "'The queen of this kingdom will confess herself to you, "'but there is one sin she has committed "'which shame and horror will not permit her to disclose. "'On the morrow she will come to you. "'Tell her from me that her alms and her prayers "'have been accepted in the sight of my son. "'I command her, therefore, to confess that crime "'which she secretly committed in her chamber. "'For alas!' she slew her daughter."
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: I have entreated for her, and her sin is forgiven, if she will confess it.
0: Oh, that's interesting that they make that they do make the moral point that you have to confess it for in because Mary Mary can help you out, but unless you're the one initiating it, it's not going to happen.
1: I've always kind of wondered about that. Like you have to talk to a priest, and then the priest supposedly talks to. The God or the saints or whoever, like there has to be a chain there because, and
0: this is—I take the Protestant side on this, so (laughs) I can't really argue for this point myself. Given that I don't need, I don't think you need a priest to to have that. Like it's supposed to be a like a direct line, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, uh, you know, you can entreat the priest, you can entreat Mary, I guess. If you if you're a little bit nervous about speaking to the big man yourself. Yeah,
1: I, I, I get the idea. Like, I'm not religious whatsoever, so I have no, like, theological dog in this hunt. But uh, I get the idea of, like, I want to talk to a saint who will then talk to God. I'm like, okay, fine. Maybe that's more comfortable for you. That makes sense yeah, that yeah. you have someone who's lower down in the hierarchy and maybe more interested in your specific situation. Fine.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: It's involving the priest that concerns me for the reason that, as we saw in our last story, sometimes priests are sketchy. What if they blackmail you?
0: (laughs) Oh, no.
1: One thing I picked up from Chaucer is that friars are terrible people, but you give them confession.
0: Yep. They can use that. They can use that. They're not supposed to. But they can. But we know that humans are full of sin if these tales tell us anything.
1: To quote my medievalist professor from undergrad when he was talking about friars in Chaucer, tell me your sins, young lady. All of them. Oh no. Oh
0: no. Yep.
1: But anyway, she has to confess to this priest, even though the priest already knows, and Mary already knows, and Mary's already forgiven her, she has to do the dance.
0: Right. Well, and for theological reasons, that's very important.
1: Yeah. But if she yield no attention to your words, bid her lay aside the cover upon her left hand. Now, I'm going to assume the cover upon her hand is just a inconvenient way to say Glove. A glove. And on her palm, you will read the crime she refuses to acknowledge. If she deny this also, take it off by force.
0: Oh, wow. So we're gonna assault a lady to get her to confess her sins? Is that not a sin itself, my good sir?
1: I think you're allowed if Mary says so.
0: If Mary says so? Yikes. Oh, that would explain some things about the church, but we don't have time to go there. (laughs)
1: When she had thus spoken, the Blessed Virgin disappeared. In the morning, the queen with great humility was shrived of all her sins, that one accepted. After she had uttered as much as she chose, the confessor said, Madam and dear daughter, people are very inquisitive to know for what strange reason you constantly wear that cover upon your left hand. Which leads me to a question. One, is she wearing one glove Michael Jackson style?
0: I would say so. I think so. And
1: two, if you're trying to be inconspicuous about it, why wouldn't you just wear two gloves? Like, people are going to notice if you always have one hand gloved and one hand
0: not. For the drama of it all. She needs she needs a constant reminder of her sin every day of her life. But not the, not the biggest reminder, because she doesn't want to see the blood, but a reminder. Also, it's a plot point, so.
1: So the priest continues... Let me see it, I beseech you, that I may ascertain why it is concealed and whether the concealment be pleasing to God. The queen answered, Sir, my hand is diseased, and therefore I cannot show it. Hearing this, the confessor caught hold of her arm, and notwithstanding her resistance, drew off the cover.
0: wow, okay, we're doing this.
1: Lady, said he, fear not, which is, I guess, a good way to start your sentence when you just, like... Assaulted someone and stolen their glove? Like, don't.
0: It's not very convincing. No,
1: it's not. I would not like, buy into why... that.
0: He, he should have started this by, like, Mary told me to do it. Like, we should have opened this conversation like that. Yeah. Good. But alas, priests.
1: I mean, let's be fair. Today, if someone said, the Virgin Mary told me to do this, we'd probably be very afraid. Because that means they're a crazy person.
0: <laughs> fair enough.
1: <laughs> but in the medieval era, that would probably pass.
0: Probably. Probably.
1: Fear not, the Blessed Virgin Mary loves you, and it is she who hath commanded me to do this. When the hand was uncovered, there appeared four circles of blood. In the first circle, there were four letters in the form of a C. In the second, four Ds. In the third, four M's. And in the fourth, four R's. Upon the outward edge of the circles, in the manner of a seal, a blood-colored writing was distinguishable, containing the legend beneath. First, of the letter C. Which was interpreted, and I'm going to try and do the Latin, but my accent's probably terrible. Casu cecidisti carne cecata, blinded by the flesh, thou heart Thou hast fallen. The letter D, daemoni dadisti dona donata, the gifts that were bestowed upon thee, thou hast given to the devil. The letter M, <laughs> wow. monstrat manifeste manus maculata, the stain upon thy hand discovers thee. The letter R, recedit rubigo. Regina Rogata, when the queen is interrogated, the red marks will vanish.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, they get some points for alliteration there. That's astounding. This is
1: another thing that comes up a lot, is that there are, like, people write acronyms on stuff all through these tales. And sometimes there's an explanation provided, but most of the time people just have to guess. So this is one of the more helpful acronyms. Okay,
0: alright. Interesting. So she's got, like, this whole devil... Sigil on her hand, yeah. basically. Yeah, basically wow. explaining like you killed a kid.
1: Yeah, you you committed sins of the flesh. Uh, the devil is is benefiting. This stain is to make it so you can't hide it. And when the queen is asked about it, the stain will go away.
0: Right. Like, so she
1: has an instruction manual, but yeah. apparently she never looked at it.
0: Oh. See, this is why this is why confession is so cleansing. You can get rid of that, you know, sigil on your hand that has been plaguing you for the past fourteen years. <laughs> we all have that problem. Yeah, you know, go get it checked out by your local priest.
1: That's true. That is the official uh, stance of this podcast. If you have mysterious bloody sigils on your hand, do talk to your local priest.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Medical advice
0: that we, as medievalists, are trained to give. Might I add? <laughs>
1: And then, for a sleeping draft, <laughs> hemlock and deadly nightshade.
0: <laughs> That'll do it. That'll take care of you all right quick.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the lady beholding this fell at the confessor's feet, and with many tears meekly related her dreadful offenses. Then, being entirely and truly penitent, she was absolved, and a very few days afterwards slept in the Lord. Her death was long lamented by the whole state. And that's the story.
0: Oh, wow. There is a lot to unpack there. There is. Oh do you my want to gosh. give it a shot? Well, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to get the... I mean, the moral, the moral of the story here is, I suppose, first off, don't sleep with your kids. Second off, don't kill your kids.
1: Even if they're the offspring of an incestuous union.
0: Yes. Third off, if you do happen to sleep with your kid and then kill your other kid... Don't hide the sigil that comes of it, you know, like and we said. And there will be a sigil. There will be a sigil. <laughs> <laughs> we know this. It is your instruction manual, you know? So take note. Take note of that. I'm, I'm impressed that in this story, she actually goes through with killing the little girl.
1: Yeah, that was unsettling.
0: Because you, you do find, you know, there's ancient Greek plays and, there, and there's this sort of folklore history of incestuous relationships between mother and son we've seen this before but typically there is something there is something that stops a parent from killing their child in those stories like we, I mean even in the, the stories of the founding of Rome or in the Greek myths where Uranus is you know swallowing his children like something stops him from killing all the kids but this one she's just nope she just goes through with it I kept waiting for someone to to, to stop her but she just straight up did it
1: Yeah, that is unusual. Um, I don't know what to say about it. That's weird.
0: I would say that it's typical that it is a daughter that she kills.
1: That is a good point. Mm -hmm. There there is a lot of uh, internalized misogyny in uh, medieval everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, even in historical accounts, you know, a son is historically more valuable than a daughter.
1: See, I was going to make a comparison to the Volsungs, but that was a son, and also she did it on purpose.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Interesting. So there's that element of it, and then we don't know what happens to the son, he just straight up vanishes.
1: Yeah, the story just says, I mean, he was never heard from again. Wow. He's like a sitcom character that the writers got tired of. Yeah.
0: He just disappears. Alright. Alright. I it's also very interesting and of course we've established that this entire thing is a historical but you would think there would be more of a record about this happening in the Roman Empire but they also didn't have confession established at that point so
1: they might have in the later Roman Empire I'm not sure the later
0: with uh, with with Augustine that was pretty well established but that was that was like fairly late that wasn't yeah. we're not talking like 69 like in the last one
1: no. This one does specifically avoid saying which emperor this is. That's
0: true. That's true. And then once once the Roman Empire in its wholeness got split up and you get the Tetrarchies and you start getting Byzantine, do you think, that's a question, do you think that they counted the Byzantine Empire as Roman?
1: I know that for some time they did because yeah. we've got texts from ambassadors to the Byzantine Empire who refer to them as the Romans. The Romans. And the Byzantines certainly called themselves the Romans. The
0: Romans, yeah. Well you want to keep that, you know, pedigree going.
1: And a podcast I listen to about Roman history, uh shout out to Totalis Rankium, mm-hmm. definitely is very specific that the Byzantines are the Romans. There is continuity.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: There's question as to whether the Holy Roman Empire is the Romans, but it's, yeah, it's not yeah. it's not as cut and dry as Voltaire would have you.
0: <laughs> we love our man Voltaire. All right.
1: All right. I think we might have time for one more. Yes,
0: sounds good.
1: Tale 18 of venial sin. Ooh. A certain soldier called Julian unwittingly killed his parents.
0: Okay, starting out with a strong plot hook. Yes. Left right. Boom. Four,
1: being of noble birth and addicted as youth frequent
0: it <laughs> oh my gosh do you this want to guess like a, this, <laughs> this is like a tinder profile it's like you know just establishing out like everything you need to know except for our narrative
1: what kinds of tinder profiles are you seeing i killed I my parents and i'm I addicted <laughs>
0: It's a medieval Tinder profile, you know. You start off with the most exciting thing about yourself, and you go through it. I actually don't know. I've never used Tinder before. Clearly, okay. It's 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 his psyche valve. It's his psyche valve. That's a better analogy. We'll go with that.
1: That does make sense.
0: <laughs> okay, keep going.
1: So he what he's addicted. What he's addicted to is the sports of the field. <laughs>
0: I was going for, like, drink or something, but no, he's addicted to sports. Okay, so he's a football jock.
1: Yeah, he's some he kind of adrenaline junkie.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Or, since, as we're going to see uh, by the sports of the field, they mostly mean hunting. Maybe he just ah, likes killing things.
0: Okay, okay. This is a great psyche Val. So far, you know, we've got violence, we've got, you know, killing animals. All right, we can see a trend here.
1: I mean... Not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with hunting, especially if you're doing it for food. But Mm -hmm. if you're addicted to hunting, I have questions about your psychological state. Yes, very true.
0: Hunt sustainably, people.
1: Yes. (laughs) A stag, which he hotly pursued, suddenly turned around and addressed him. Your
0: man's tripping, but okay.
1: (laughs) Maybe he is addicted to something else. Yeah. Thou who pursuest me so fiercely... "...shall be the destruction of thy parents." Okay. So apparently this is before he's killed his parents. All right. These words greatly alarmed Julian, as they would... See,
0: is it the words, or is it the fact that the deer is talking?
1: I feel like it's the second one. That would be the more alarming. Because I'd be ready to say, like, look, deer, you don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, you know, I love my parents. We're good.
1: But I would be concerned if a deer started talking to me no matter what it
0: said. Exactly. Fear not. I am the Virgin Mary. Perhaps.
1: Exactly. That, that, a, that would that, be extra concerning. That would.
0: That would. Is that heretical to compare a deer to the Virgin Mary? I have no idea. I mean, the Virgin Mary could show up in any form she wanted, presumably, yeah. right?
1: I'm sure she could be a stag if she wanted.
0: Yeah. I suppose. Catholic listeners, if you have any advice on this, ask your local priest. We'd love to hear back. And then wash the sickle off your hands. Yes, also that.
1: These words greatly alarmed Julian, who feared their accomplishment even while he disavowed the probability. That's a great
0: phrase. <laughs> yes. Feared the accomplishment even as he disavowed the probability.
1: So I guess at the same time he's going, you don't know what you're talking about, dear. But also... In the back of his head. What if? Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking deer. Maybe they're prophets. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know from talking deer. Oh. Leaving, therefore, his amusement, he went privately into a distant
0: country. Go to Cancun. <laughs> 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 like, okay. What I'm getting from this is you have this guy who's who's pretty privileged. He likes his hunting. He's tripping. A deer talks to him, and he's like, "I need, I need a vacation." So he goes to Cancun. That's what I'm getting from this.
1: To be fair, if a deer talks to you, going on vacation to Cancun probably isn't the worst decision. Yeah,
0: like, you're stressed out, a deer started talking to you, you need a little, you know, TLC. Reasonable reaction.
1: So I went into a distant country, possibly Cancun's in Mexico, right? I have
0: no idea. Well, we'll say, um, I don't know, the Sealies That's a nice little island. Nice little island chain. I've never heard it's of it. By, it's off the coast of Britain, I think. Good sailing country.
1: All right. Anyway, while he's in uh, islands off the coast of Britain, why not? He enrolled himself in the bands of a certain chieftain. His conduct, as well in war as in peace, merited so highly from the prince he served that he created him a knight and gave him the widow of a castellan in marriage with her castle as a dowry.
0: Good gang. All this
1: while, the parents of Julian bewailed the departure of their son. Presumably, he didn't tell them anything. He just left. He just left.
0: <laughs> One-way ticket. Let's go.
1: And diligently sought for him in all places. You, know, you check the closet, you check the basement.
0: <laughs> you check the local bar.
1: Did he fall behind the couch? Yes. Good questions there. At length, they arrived at the castle, and in Julian's absence were introduced to his wife, who asked them what they were. It definitely says what and not who, so I, I mean, don't know what that's the,
0: about. It, it's the same word in the Latin, isn't it? I mean, it's quickly quote.
1: I don't know. It's been a long time since I've taken a Latin class. Should be
0: quick, quick quote. This, that, or, well, that's a lay la look, But should be quick, quick quote, quote. Maybe they just mistranslated it, or was in a weird case,
1: I'll or maybe, that.
0: maybe what does in what nationality they were.
1: I just think it would be interesting to answer the door and say, "What are you?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be that would throw me for a loop.
1: They communicated without reserve the occasion of their search and their sorrow for an only child. Convinced by this explanation that they were her husband's parents, for he had often conversed with her about them, and detailed the strange occurrence which induced him to flee his country. That must have been an interesting conversation.
0: Well, he seems like he comes from a loving home, With a lo- he's got a loving wife, they communicate openly, like, why would you just up and leave?
1: Well, he's still married to her, and presumably is just out for the day.
0: No, but I mean, like, why would he up and leave in the first place? I mean, it's a talking deer but yeah, that is trippy enough to make me just want to get out of Dodge, so.
1: I think it says a lot for the strength of his marriage that he told her that he he fled his country because a deer talked to him, and she was just like, okay, honey. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's very true.
1: She received them very kindly, and in consideration of the love she bore her husband, put them into her own bed, presumably not while she was in it, and commanded another to be prepared elsewhere for herself. Well, it's like, you know...
0: You're, it's like your in-laws come in, you're like, oh, please take the master bedroom. That is nice.
1: Although you'd think that a castle would have a nice
0: enough guest room. That's true. I suppose it's the honor part of it, as opposed to anything else.
1: Now, early in the morning, the Lady Castellan went to her devotions. In the meantime, Julian returning home hastened, according to custom, to the chamber of his wife, imagining that she had not yet risen.
0: Oh, no...
1: And see, this is why you don't put your in-laws in your bed, you give them the guest bed.
0: Yeah. Oh no.
1: Fearful of awaking her, he softly entered the apartment, and perceiving <laughs> For the listeners, Zoe has a look of horrified uh, anticipation on her I face. D-
0: I just don't I just don't want to know the next part of this. But keep going. And perceiving two
1: persons in bed, instantly concluded that his wife was disloyal. <gasps>
0: Julian, no!
1: Apparently the marriage was not as strong as we thought.
0: Oh, maybe he's just a jerk.
1: Maybe. Oh. I mean, we did say that it's psychologically questionable to be addicted to hunting, so maybe there That's is something true.
0: wrong with him. That's true. It's those violent impulses, anger management issues.
1: On that subject. Oh, no. <laughs> Without a moment's pause, he unsheathed his saber and slew both. No! Then he hurried...
0: Oh... <laughs> Julian, why (laughs) think before you act?
1: I don't think we've seen him do any of that in this story.
0: That's true. That's true. If he just, if he hadn't listened to the deer.
1: That's true. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: Yeah. If you, okay. Just like the sigils, talk to your local priest. If a deer talks to you, disregard it.
1: Yes. That is our official advice to the listeners. If a deer talks to you, just remember that deer don't talk and therefore you can ignore what it has to say.
0: Absolutely. Street smarts. Life <laughs> advice.
1: <laughs> was that a John Mullaney reference? Yes it was. Medieval Street
0: Smarts. <laughs> Maybe we should add that as a segment.
1: That would be a good segment, actually, we should put it. That would. In.
0: Street smarts! <laughs>
1: <laughs> then he hurried from the chamber and accidentally took the direction in which the church lay. I don't know how you accidentally go the wrong way in your own house. Like he must be really disoriented. He's
0: just, he's just killed his parents. I mean, I mean, he doesn't know. Okay, but he's just killed wh- who he thinks is his cheating wife. That's true. And like he's being cuckolded here. He's you know he's lost his head. We we know that he's lost his head before. He's got this issue.
1: What I find weird is that he doesn't even, like, pull back the covers at least to see, like, who was my wife cheating with.
0: Yeah! Like, is it, you know, it's gotta be a small neighborhood. He must have suspected someone.
1: Where was it? Ah, he accidentally took the direction in which the church lay, and by which his wife had proceeded not long before. On the threshold of the sacred building, he distinguished her, and struck with the utmost amazement, inquired whom they were that had taken possession of his bed. Oh.
0: Hey babe, uh, question for you. Kind of made a mess of the uh, upstairs bedroom. Oh no.
1: I'm gonna be honest and say it's probably a good move to not say why he's asking because he's thinking, hey, I thought I just killed you. Yeah. Could you fill me in on why you're alive and in
0: church right now? Oh, I mean, oh, in church. <laughs>
1: She replied that they were his parents, who, after long and wearisome search in pursuit of him, arrived at his castle the last evening. This intelligence was as a thunderbolt to Julian, and I'll unable bet. to contain himself, <laughs> unable to contain himself, he burst into an agony of tears. Oh! He exclaimed, "Lives there in the world so forlorn a wretch as I am? This accursed hand has murdered my parents and fulfilled the horrible prediction which I have struggled to avoid, dearest wife." Pardon my fatal suspicions. So that's nice. It's at least saying, sorry, I thought you were cheating on me and then tried to kill you about it. See,
0: I would, I would argue that's grounds for divorce.
1: Yes, <laughs> very definitely. <laughs>
0: at minimum.
1: And receive my last farewell, for never will I know rest until I am satisfied that God has forgiven oh, me.
0: Oh, hey, you know, he's just going to leave so she can stay married. She's got the estate. That's not a bad gig.
1: Yeah, honestly, this is probably the best uh, outcome for her. Unless she actually liked him for some reason, but he doesn't seem like a likable guy. Not really.
0: Come on, Julian.
1: His wife answered, Wilt thou abandon me then, my beloved, and leave me alone and widowed? No, I have been the participator of thy happiness, and now will participate thy grief. So she's no. so- He may be a terrible husband, but she's a pretty good wife.
0: Oh, no, she's codependent. She's codependent! Or that. (laughs) I'm sticking with my psychological evaluation on this one. He's got anger management issues, and she's codependent.
1: Apparently enough that they just leave because the next sentence is... My dog also does not like this story. No,
0: apparently not.
1: I know you want attention. You're just going to have to wait. (laughs) Julian opposed not, and they departed together towards a large river that flowed at no great distance and where many had perished. Ominous. I know, right? In this place, they built and endowed a hospital where they abode in the truest contrition of heart. They always ferried over those who wished to cross the river. Delilah, give me a moment. I'm going to give her, like, a... Would you like a treat? Will that make you happy? (laughs) Yeah, no worries. Alright, hopefully the noise of her chewing on her uh, dentist stick is not going to be picked up by the microphone. Oh,
0: our dogs love dentist sticks. I know, they're great. Okay, so they built a hospital.
1: Yes, they always ferried over those who wished to cross the river and received great numbers of poor people within the place. Many years glided by, and at last, on a very cold night, about the mid-hour, I guess that's what we would call midnight. Or the
0: half-hour, but I think it's midnight. Anyway, keep going
1: as julian slept overpowered with fatigue a lamentable voice seemed to call his name and beg him in dolorous accents i like that phrase mm-hmm. to take the speaker across the river he instantly got up and found a man covered with the leprosy perishing for very cold he brought him into the house and lighted a fire to warm him but he could not be made warm that he might omit no possible means of cherishing the leper he carried him into his own bed and endeavored by the heat of his body to restore him. Uh, Listeners, it is a shame this is not a visual medium because Mm -hmm. that is a great look.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is... Oh, dear. Because, well, leprosy is not contagious, but they didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they thought it was.
0: Yeah, that's why they were, like, annexed off.
1: Now, I have to wonder, exactly how is he endeavoring Yay. by the heat of his body?
0: Snuggle buddy. <laughs> Let's go with the most innocent option.
1: Let's do that, yes.
0: <laughs> what did his wife think about this? Are they not sleeping together anymore? Are, are, did, did they just break up?
1: That's a good question. Cause that, that should be their, the bed they share, right?
0: Yeah. So either either his, like his wife is going to wake up next to this leper, which is... Vaguely alarming in any situation, or they no longer sleep together because they don't get along, which I I would understand. I feel like once your husband is like, yeah, I tried to kill you because I thought you were cheating on me, I wouldn't really want to sleep with him either. Yeah. So we'll go with that.
1: After a while, he who seemed sick and cold and leprous appeared enveloped in an immortal splendor and waving his light wings, seemed ready to mount up into heaven. He's
0: got wings now.
1: Pretty sure he's an angel. I would say so. Turning a look of the utmost benignity upon his wondering host, he said, Julian, the Lord hath sent me to thee to announce the acceptance of thy contrition. Before long, both thou and thy partner will sleep in the Lord. So saying, the angelic messenger disappeared. Julian and his wife After a short time fully occupied in good works, died in peace.
0: Huh. The end. Yes. Huh. There's a lot of good works in these, but we're not getting a lot of, I guess, retribution or or acceptance of those good works unless it's by angelic or saintly visitor, which is very interesting.
1: And, again, after the first few, they start cutting the uh, exegesis short. But there is a portion in the remaining bit of the exegesis that I thought is worth sharing, just to show how divorced from the actual story the explanations sometimes are. Ooh, yes. The parents represent the vanities of this life, which pursue a man everywhere. These parents must be slain with the saber of repentance.
0: That is not how I would interpret that at all.
1: Oh! No, me neither.
0: Whoa! I mean, I understand the whole hero's journey of like, you know, you gotta either save your father from the abyss, and then you know you turn into your father essentially, mm-hmm. or you, you know, you kill your father. Your father dies, and that's when you become a man. Like, I, I get that. That's a that's a well established literary pattern, but that does not. Mm-mm. I think they're reaching on this one.
1: They are, I'm sure. Also. This one has an end note which tells us that this is a story borrowed from Caxton's Golden Legend. Uh... Future Mac here with the clarification Caxton is the publisher of the Golden Legend and not the author. I'm not sure why the scholar who wrote this note decided to refer to it as Caxton's Golden Legend. But there you are. And the metrical lives of the saint. Oh. Hence Julian, or Saint Julian, was called Hospitator.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So this guy was canonized, which presumably makes more sense if you read a different account of his life.
0: I was going to say, because he doesn't seem to have really done all that much great i mean he did establish a hospital and he did like that bit of saintliness i understand but i feel like that's more the canonization part and the uh the folktale part of it is more or less the talking deer and the killing your parents and oh dear so huh i'm just i'm taking in this story this is this is an interesting convoluted one
1: Mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts on it
0: his parents and his wife are the symbols of virtue in in this story.
1: They seem to be much more virtuous than he is.
0: Mhm. Cuz if anything, like what I want to know is if this is about the canonization of a saint, then why aren't we revering or canonizing his wife? Yeah. Cuz his wife is like, "Let's give let's give you the bed. I'm going to forgive my husband. I'm going to set up this hospital with him. I'm not going to abandon him after" you know, he did try and just kill me. So why, like, we don't even have her name. No, we don't.
1: I was was just going to say, not only does she not get canonization, she doesn't even get a name. But she's clearly the better person.
0: Yeah. Even even by Catholic standards. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, just don't, do not consult Talking Deer is what I'm getting out of this. Like, if... If you're being approached by a supernatural entity, it should have wings, or it should proclaim who it is. Like Mary.
1: Yeah. If the supernatural entity doesn't introduce itself, then don't listen to it.
0: Basic manners. You know, it's like the Fae. They say, may I take your name? Don't do it. Do not. (laughs) They will take it, and you will never be free. Offer them a name that is not your actual name. I
1: assume this is a hard-won lesson from your year in Ireland.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) Never underestimate the fae. There are old woods, old forests. Also, Iceland. You know, Iceland has has passed legislation to protect the elves, so, you know, just be aware. Be aware. The supernatural is not dead. It is not relegated to these stories. (laughs) But in any case you now have three examples of what to do just in case you either come upon a terrible thirst do not drink the putrid dog water
1: although i think that story wanted
0: you to i think it did but i i don't know i don't know take that one as you will dear listeners i would i would probably not drink the putrid dog water regardless although that's not true i've i have had glacial water so I probably wouldn't drink the putrid dog water.
1: I feel like those are not the same unless there's something about glaciers that I don't know.
0: It depends. If you go hiking and you generally know where the glacial runoff is coming from you're fine but we do have a lot of mines so occasionally you can get mine runoff which has a lot of crap in the water that you don't want Mm -hmm. but you can generally taste it so. But it did look like pure water coming from the putrid dog so maybe do drink the putrid dog water. That's that's one. Or, you know, what's, the, the, what's our second lesson? Don't kill your kids. But also, if you do happen to find weird sigils on your body, first off, that's your fault. Own it. Own it. The first step to getting better is to admit when you're wrong and confess and confide in your local priest. And then our third lesson is don't listen to talking deer. Yes. We've established this one.
1: I, I think to go with that one also for the third story is... If you find people in your
0: bed, check who they are before you kill them. Yes. Also a very good idea. You should always know who you're killing. Yes. That's a good good thing to know. And don't be addicted to spores.
1: Yes. Yes. Just
0: in general. If you have anger management issues, maybe address that early on in your life so you don't end up talking to a deer. The deer will not help you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that this is my field. I love that I get to do this. <laughs> Life advice, you know, street smarts.
1: <laughs> I feel like that's why a lot of people end up in medievalism, just because we get to talk about weird crap all the time.
0: I think so. Maybe is maybe the Gestus Romanorum itself is just street smarts. The whole thing is just street smarts. Brought to you by the Gestus Romanorum. We've got everything we need there. Okay.
1: Do you want to go to the um, end segments?
0: We should. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what say you? It's just come to mind that the magnificent man in the first story, in Tale 12, mm-hmm. he didn't proclaim who he was. He didn't. But the angel the angel did in our third story, and Mary did in the second one.
1: That's one of the reasons I think that uh, the story was originally about an encounter with a fairy.
0: The fae. Because the deer doesn't really proclaim who he is either, and I'm betting you it's not an actual deer.
1: No, I don't think they have the... Anatomical <laughs> capability to speak.
0: Ooh. I'd probably go with Fear Not. <laughs> when the, the priest has just assaulted the queen. And he just go he's just straight up Fear not. Mary told me to do it.
1: That is a pretty good one. I'm not sure there's a better one. No, I think I'm gonna have to just leave it at fear not. Let's Fear not. That's clearly the best bit. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Okay.
1: All to blast.
0: Best death. Best
1: death. There are a lot of deaths, but I don't think any of them are worth noting. Because the only one that's in any way unnatural is the people getting killed by a saber in their sleep.
0: Yeah, that's the only real bad one. Otherwise, it's just, you know, they were sleeping in the Lord. Which is a turn of phrase that you can throw into your next cocktail party.
1: I mean, we could say the Queen's daughter, but I wouldn't say that's a best anything. That's just gruesome.
0: Oh. That's the most violent death. I'd go with I'm gonna go with that because she actually does it, which is impressive to me.
1: And the story spends I think perhaps too much time describing it.
0: Yeah, that's valid. That cleric was evidently pretty bored. Yes. Or had anger management issues like Julian did.
1: Well, I think a lot of these are spent some time in the oral tradition before, so we should expect to see the same kind of, um... Repetition. I was going to say the same kind of approaches to violence as in the Grimm Brothers.
0: Oh yeah, also that. Definitely true. Okay.
1: Bestiary.
0: We've got a couple magical creatures in this one. Do we? Well, we've got the talking deer. Oh, that's true. He counts. He does. And I think the putrid dog also counts. Okay. Because that is clearly, that is not just any dog. He's got black teeth and yeah. he's gushing out magical water.
1: Yeah, that is not a normal thing dogs do.
0: Yes. So even if it's like a very, very dead dog, it's still supernatural.
1: Yeah, I kind of like the idea of a monster that just looks like a really ill-cared-for dog that is just happens to also be a fountain.
0: Mangy dog. Who's also a fountain. I like it. There we go. We can use that later in our, our D&D thing.
1: Yes, which is the next
0: one? Oh, it is! Oh, yay! me <laughs> the Okay, what are we going to pull from these stories into a DD and d game? I mean, I feel like the potential of using the son who's disappeared, he's like, oh, I don't talk about my family history. Mm-hmm. But then again, that is player's choice and DM's choice if you want to include such a dark element to your campaign. Yeah. Yeah. That would be up to you. If the putrid dog you can just include. Yeah, I kind of want to write
1: up stats for a putrid dog.
0: A putrid dog. Yeah. What else? I mean you could have a really a really conniving priest. Yeah. I think it's always a good addition, especially if you're running a campaign that's centered around more um uh, political or religious ideas. Cause you wanna you do wanna show both both sides.
1: I think the bloody sigil would be an interesting
0: plot hook. That would be so cool. Or that would be great consequences for a warlock or a clerical character if they act really out of character. Mm. They get punished. Yes. That would be really interesting. I think that'd be like a very cool element for a warlock. I like it. Yeah, definitely. What else?
1: I don't think cuddly lepers fit very well.
0: No, that that's just weird. That's just weird. I don't know, you could throw in you could throw in a talking deer. Yeah. You know? I don't...
1: (laughs) I think the talking deer only works if it's presented without explanation, though.
0: Yes. That's like, there's a wonderful game mechanic that I've heard about. I don't know who originally came up with this idea, but it's just a goose. And the goose can show up anywhere. And it cannot be detected. It is not magical, but it just shows up. And it's the same goose, but Mm -hmm. it just shows up. That's it.
1: And you can just
0: drive your characters, or your players, slowly insane.
1: Apparently it was inspired by a video game.
0: Oh, the Untitled Goose game? Yeah. I love that game.
1: I have not played it.
0: There is such an elemental joy in just being a bastard goose.
1: I do not doubt that.
0: Just, you know, you could, like, and it wouldn't work as a human, but if you're a goose, you don't know any better, and you can just steal people's glasses, you know, or... I don't know. It's a fantastic game. I really enjoy that game. I highly recommend it. It's very cathartic.
1: I will keep that in mind if I <laughs> ever have hardware that can play video games.
0: Oh, man. Alright, I don't know what else we can we can really throw in for a D&D game. These are all very short.
1: Yeah, I think that is kind of the entirety of it.
0: Yeah. Alright, what do we have next?
1: Komitatus. Oh,
0: all right, a party. Well, I feel like Julian is the most obvious option for a barbarian.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Because he just, you know, goes into a massive rage. Um, we do have a lot of clerical characters. His wife could be a cleric.
1: I was just thinking that his wife would make a good cleric.
0: Mm-hmm. What about the queen? What would she be? She's a warlock. Yes. Just point blank. She made a deal with the devil. Something along those lines. Hmm. Who else That would
1: be a really interesting backstory for a warlock character.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I killed my daughter for power.
1: But it's okay because she was the product of incest (laughs) to die.
0: Ooh. ooh. You can have a lot of fun with that. Oh man. And then, you know, your player runs into or whoever is playing that character, the DM, can introduce their long lost son. And that's a that's a whole new dynamic. I keep forgetting
1: the sun just disappeared from the story. He's
0: just gone. What happened to him? We don't know. That would be interesting. That would. Okay. Who else do we want to have as a D- in a in and party? We've got a cleric. We've got a warlock. We've got a barbarian. Okay, so we've got some fighters and we've got some casters. Yeah. I don't want the villager who didn't go to church. No. He but was mostly an idiot. The slippery priest would make a good rogue. Ooh. Ooh, he would. That's a well-rounded party. Yeah. That is a think, well-rounded party.
1: I think it would be really interesting to have a character who is by class a rogue, but by profession a priest.
0: That would be really fun to play. Yeah. That's like the idea of having a rogue who presents himself as a wizard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've heard of that one.
0: That one seems like so much fun to play. and It's like in Assassin's Creed Revelations, like Smoke Bombs. Oh, I'm casting, and he just throws a smoke bomb down, and they just flee. mm mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Get out of dodge. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun to play as. Okay. Definitely. Plus he's a priest, so it's like, I call upon the lord, and next thing you know, explosion. The priest is gone, because he's a rogue. I like it. <laughs> I like it. There's a lot to play with there. Okay. How many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over in states unborn and accents yet unknown what do we see here (laughs) i mean does game of thrones count with all the incest going on
1: possibly although i think that's broad enough that it's probably not
0: it's not it's not these stories in particular but these are folk stories so you do see the carry yeah. You know, it does carry forward.
1: Some of the other ones in here are clearly related to, like, some of Grimm's folktales or Ooh. other other folktales pretty much throughout the whole Indo-European area.
0: Oh, fantastic. That'll be fun to see.
1: That's why I have a lot of things marked.
0: Oh, good. One thing that did come to mind, and it's not necessarily a modern culture thing, but it's a a parallel trend in folklore, is the idea of having a thirst that doesn't go away. There's the North American folk story about the wendigo oh yeah yeah and that's it depends on on where the myth originates where you're hearing it but it's at least in some native Alaskan folklore Inuit and not Aleutian but um Athabaskan it's a villager who gets too greedy and takes extra food and once he's exiled from the community he's just hungrier and hungrier and hungrier and he can't stop being hungry, and so eventually he kills people to eat them, and he ends up going after other people who are too greedy. So the moral lesson there is don't be too greedy, especially if you're living in a subsistence community. But that idea of of having a a thirst or a hunger that doesn't go away.
1: I can see that. I don't suppose the Queen's Michael Jackson glove counts, does it?
0: I don't think so. I know there were a couple historical figures in the – I want to say 16th or 17th centuries – who wore only a glove on one hand for like, political reasons or for honor reasons, something like that, but I don't, I don't know. I can't think of anything where that really comes in. The first thing I thought of was the six-fingered man from Princess Bride, but that doesn't count. <laughs> he was just a six-fingered man.
1: Yeah. I, I was also thinking of the Princess Bride when the Virgin Mary appeared to the uh, priest, because I really wanted her to say, fear not, I am the Virgin Mary. You killed my father.
0: <laughs> <where> to die—that <laughs> would have been something. Yeah, I don't think that's that's more Michael's area of expertise as opposed to Mary's.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, you've been smoted, smitten, smitten, smote to smite. It says oh
1: smite, smote,
0: have smitten, have smitten. That's what it is. All right. Uh, it's the Dungeon Master's Dictionary. What was that one phrase that you liked?
1: I'm trying Dular- to find a dolorous it. accent. Yes, the dolorous accent.
0: A dolorous accent. That's a good one.
1: I also liked the uh, the descriptions of the devil, I'm trying to find mm-hmm. the line. The devil perceived the irregular attachment of the mother and insinuated black and unnatural thoughts into their minds, and from time to time repeating his detestable solicitations, finally overthrew them.
0: Detestable solicitations. That is that is a phrase.
1: Also, announcing that you're saying something important by yelling Mark is pretty great. Yes!
0: Town criers can do that. Mark!
1: This is highly recommended if one of your players is called Mark.
0: That would be fantastic. Yes. As, as opposed to, hey ye, hey ye. You know, yeah. you could do Mark ye. Yeah.
1: Mark ye as more of a... Um, mm. It sounds more urgent. Yes. Mark ye. Yes. Mark my words
0: Yes Mark ye the dangers of the forest at the south There <laughs> hath been giants Spotted amongst the trees Please be aware that We are not taking any Visitors through those woods at this time The red zone Is for loading and unloading only
1: The kingdom oh does not accept liability For giant <laughs> related damage
0: yeah. yeah And no you will not get a refund on your taxes for those <laughs> All right. Now let's sit at the kitchen table.
1: I don't think there's any food in this.
0: There is the water. That's true. There is the water.
1: If you would like to prepare putrid dog water, be my guest.
0: I will add that to the pantry. (laughs) A jar of putrid dog holy water. There we go.
1: Best moment.
0: What is the best moment in these texts?
1: It's gotta be in Julian's, right? Because there were so many-
0: There's so much there in Julian's. Like, I gotta say, for me, it's the very beginning, because it just just sets it up. This is the story of Julian, so you know his name, you know who he is, who killed his parents. You know what's going to happen. And he's like, and he was addicted to sports, and that's how the story starts. Like, that has got everything you need. It's the most epic tabloid.
1: By the end of the second sentence, you've not only gotten all that information, but he's, but you've also got the talking deer. It's yes. all in that first bit.
0: It's a one-two punch. It's fantastic. I'm going with that one.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. Especially just the first sentence being, A certain soldier called Julian unwittingly killed his parents. That is a hook. Boom.
0: That is a ma- massive hook. There you go. You can use that in your D&D as well. Like, if you've if you got, like, poster boards where your players can go and look for stuff, you know, wanted man who killed his parents, or man who unwittingly killed his parents, even better. Put the hook right out there.
1: Yeah, you could even borrow Julian's character and just, instead of making him a saint, just have him be the character he is in this text.
0: Not very saintly, that is no. to say. Oh, man. Okay. The court. Okay. Okay, let's evaluate here. So we've got the shifty priest in the first tale. Are we going to count the mysterious figure as mortal or immortal?
1: I think the fact that he seems to vanish into thin air means he's still not immortal. Yeah. Not he's, a mortal, that is. Right.
0: Right. So he's disqualified. And then we've got this weird peasant guy who... No. I'm not going with him. No way. In the next tale, we have the emperor, the queen, the prince, the daughter who just dies, so not her. And then we have... Who else do we have? The priest. The priest. That's right. A lot of priests. And then we have... In Julian's story, there's Julian. we got Julian's wife and Julian's parents. And the leper. Yeah. Well, not the leper. The leper's an angel. So that doesn't count. This might be a cop-out, but I'm going to go with... See, should I go with the emperor because he's already dead?
1: I mean, they're all already dead. That's true. These are stories from hundreds of years ago. That's true.
0: And they're ahistorical. Yeah. Because it says he was a good emperor and we liked him. I mean, it's either him or his son, I feel like. But we don't know what happened to his son.
1: No, no idea.
0: I'm going to go I'm going to go with the emperor. He was a good emperor. His wife apparently loved him a little too much. Yeah. But he had the reputation. He died in his sleep. He wasn't killed, which is saying something for an emperor. Yes. So, yeah, I will go with the unnamed emperor in tale 13.
1: What is it? A, a certain emperor?
0: <laughs> yeah, a certain
1: emperor. <laughs> I will then I feel like this is now the second time of picked the love interest, but I'm going to select Julian's wife.
0: Yes! Oh, we love her! That's Because she's clearly
1: a good person. And no one else in these stories seems to be.
0: We do love Julian's wife. It's so sad she doesn't get a name.
1: Yeah, that is a problem.
0: She deserves a name. What a nice lady. She did not abandon her husband.
1: No, she was really dedicated.
0: That's pretty ballsy. And she was a pretty good nurse, apparently.
1: Uh, Yeah, I guess she must have been. They ran a hospital for so long.
0: Or at least a good administrator. And apparently she didn't mind when her husband brought a lover into their bed.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say she doesn't make questionable decisions.
0: Yeah, you know, we all have our faults.
1: I feel like the right decision when he came up to her after killing his parents would have been to say, Okay, honey, bye.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have been the smarter choice.
1: I'll, I'll keep an eye on things here. You go...
0: Go have fun setting up your hospital.
1: Yeah, absolve yourself.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. Because she doesn't need to absolve herself of anything. No, she's fine. All right. Okay.
1: Final rating.
0: Final rating.
1: All right, so do we want to do one rating for all three of these, or a rating for each of them?
0: I say we do a rating for each of them.
1: Okay. And then we c- we can just average them together as we go through the Gesta Romanorum for...
0: A- yes. Yeah. For the whole text. Oh. Yes. Yeah, we can separate it and we can do the whole thing. Okay, so tale number 12, a bad example. I think this one falls short. I agree. I think this is like, I mean, the future dog is interesting. The mysterious stranger bumps it up, but they are really hitting the moral nail on the head so far that it goes through the bench that they're sitting on. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with four.
1: I am going to go with three, because I also very much disagree with the moral that they're trying to teach.
0: That's also true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. just all around If you have a slimy priest, unpleasant. you should not be forced to go to church. No. No.
1: And no. And when you're... I feel like regardless of what kind of congregation you're a part of, if your priest is not someone who's, like, trustworthy or morally upstanding... You should be able to say, hey, this is bull." I'm going somewhere else.
0: Yes, absolutely. Or better yet, you should be in an environment in a church community or a spiritual community where you can say that it's bull. And chase out the slippery priest. Exactly. Speak your mind, people. Speak the truth. All right. Tale 13 of Inordinate Love. This one is very interesting and highly entertaining. Yeah. There are a lot of twists and turns, and I feel like it gets bonus points, for having a coded sigil. Also good. I feel like this one gets a solid 8.
1: I'm not going to go quite that high. I'm going to... I was gonna say 6, but you know, you're right, it is interesting, so I'll go for a 7. There we go. I like the bloody sigil, and it is not afraid of going into weird places.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's always throwing you for a loop, this story. Okay, and tale 18. What is this one? A venial sin? Yeah. I'm honestly venial? not sure what that... I don't know. Let's Google this one. A scholar's toolbook includes Google. Denoting a sin that is not regarded as depriving the soul of divine grace. Oh. it's So it's, it's cardinal versus venial. Yeah. We both should have known that.
1: <laughs> yes, we absolutely should have.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. All right.
1: So it's just not a mortal sin yes, or, a or a cardinal sin. Yes, a cardinal
0: sin. Yeah. Okay. All right, a venial sin.
1: I'm not sure why this is about venial sin. I, I assume that's somewhere in the exegesis that got cut short.
0: Can you? Can hang on. What is? It, what are the cardinal sins?
1: I'm pretty sure murder is one of them. I was gonna it's say. Thing.
0: What are the cardinal sins? It's the seven deadly sins, right? Oh. That's that's is what it, it. That's what Google says. Oh dear, I'm getting the anime. That is not what I was looking for.
1: There's. Oh. The Catholic Church apparently has a list of mortal and venial sins.
0: Ooh, straight to the source. Let's go.
1: Three conditions are necessary for mortal sin to exist. Ooh, okay. First, a grave matter, meaning it has to be something serious. Yes. Second, full knowledge. You have to know that what you're doing or planning is evil.
0: Oh,
1: and 3. Deliberate consent. You must freely choose to commit the act or plan to do it.
0: So, that presupposes, this story then presupposes that killing your wife and and whoever she's cheating with is okay.
1: Yeah, that's really the only way to read that, because the only one you could argue is not fulfilled is whether it's done with full, full knowledge. knowledge. But. He thought he was killing two people. He just thought they were a different two people.
0: Ooh. So, does that mean patricide and matricide are not okay, but killing your cheating wife is? That's what this is arguing.
1: That's the only way I can read that. That's the only way I can make that fit (gasps) as a venial sin. No.
0: Bad news bears. We do not like this.
1: (laughs) No, I disagree. Strongly. Strong
0: disagree. Points are down on this one now. Oh no. But it is highly entertaining. Yes. I'm bothered by the fact that we don't have her name, which is pretty typical, I know, but it still bugs me. And then, to be fair, it does get extra points for the one-two punch at the front, because you get everything you need. So I'm going to say this is a solid, oh, see what the Venial Sim brought it down, 6.5. It's a 6.5.
1: I'm going to, I think for for, for maybe the first time, I'm going to go higher than you and give it a full seven. Ooh, okay. Because, so, the reason I'm going to give it that extra <laughs> that extra half point and make it a seven is I just like the uh, leper snuggle buddy. Thing.
0: Yes! Okay, that is, that is pretty sweet. Yep. I agree with that. It's not gay if he's an angel. That's true. Angels don't have a gender.
1: Exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I may not belong to any actual religious organization but I'm pretty sure angels do not have a gender. They
0: don't. As far as I can, as far as I know theologically. Cuz why would they? They don't really need one. Yeah. The seraphim don't. I mean Gabriel, but Gabriel is pretty pretty well defined as a guy. But is yeah, that but is I, that canon or is that Milton?
1: I feel like <laughs> even if it is can Will you chill? Even if it is canon, it's more that People in this uh, very in in the very gender based ancient human societies would see him and go like, "That's a guy." That's true. And and just interpret him thusly.
0: That's true. Whether
1: or not he actually,
0: the only thing that I will assume about Gabriel is that he has fantastic hair.
1: Yeah, he should have fantastic
0: hair. I think that's pretty. I don't know. To me, I just think of Gabriel and I'm like, the guy's got fantastic hair. But I don't <laughs> right. know. Maybe maybe this is a weird presupposition from like, the early days when I did go to Catholic school. I don't know. Maybe it's iconography I've seen over over my life, but I feel like Gabriel has fantastic hair.
1: I always just picture uh, angels as being, like, the one in dogma.
0: Oh. I always think the flaming wheels are very interesting. You know, like, the flaming wheels and eyes and there's wings. I'm like, "Uh," I don't know how I would even... Nope. That is pretty cool. That's why you fall on your face. That is why you fall on your face when you see an angel.
1: But, I don't know, there's just something charming about uh, picturing them as a mildly annoyed Alan Rickman.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, now I'm just picturing a mildly annoyed Alan Rickman snuggle buddy with Julian. Yeah, just
1: just doing my job.
0: (laughs) Humans, am I right? Oh, man. Well, in any case, I suppose angels do make good snuggle buddies. I don't know how Mm -hmm. the wings would work. I guess they would have to be the big spoon. Yeah. Otherwise the wings would get in the way.
1: So that's another uh, piece of advice to our listeners. If you're snuggling with an angel, let them be the big spoon. Street smarts. Unless they're a flaming wheel, in which case don't snuggle with an angel. Probably
0: not. In that case, fall on your face and pray to God. Sound advice. Okay. <laughs>
1: well, we've covered it, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I think what we've got left is the leech's corner. <laughs> leech's
0: corner. Okay.
1: Uh, welcome to the leech's corner. So this is back to, uh, chapter one of book one, and this is one of several remedies for broken head.
0: (laughs) What a mood. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, that just got me good. Oh, no. (laughs) It's like me during finals week. It's like, how are you? Oh, you know, broken head. That's where I'm at. Okay, apparently that is my condition today. Anyway, continue. I'm
1: gonna say they're probably meaning it more literally. Yes, probably. <laughs> but for the same broken head, take wallflower and atorlotha and pelatory and woodmarch and Brownwort and betony, form all the warts into a wart drink. <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Just in case this isn't clear to uh, our listeners, that's Wart with an O.
0: Like the plant. Was an
1: A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and mix therewith the small cleaver and centauri and way broad, of almost especially betony. And if the brain be exposed...
0: You're already dead at that p- Well, you're not, but okay. Continue.
1: If the brain be exposed, take the yolk of an egg and mix a little with honey, and fill the wound, and swathe up with cloth. Oh, wow. And so let it alone, and again after about three days, syringe the wound, and if the hail sound part will have a red ring about the wound, know thou then that thou mayest not heal it.
0: Oh my gosh. So basically, if the guy has a head wound, and if you stick an egg in it, it's gonna get infected. It's gonna go red. Yes, yes. Oh, what does it mean to syringe a wound? I think
1: that's just draining it.
0: Oh, that makes sense. But it goes on. Oh, dear. Okay. All right.
1: For the same, take woodruff and woodmarch and hove and boil it in butter and strain through a colored cloth. Apply it to the head. Then the bones come out. (laughs) The
0: bones come out? Wait, 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 wait. No
1: clue. I is do not like, know. Is this
0: like shrapnel? Like if you have shards of bone that are like Maybe. in your head and you can't get it out? Cause I feel like like you know, you put it, like the old the old southern thing of putting butter on a burn. Mm. You know? Or like if you've got a real bad zit, you can draw it out with heat.
1: I've never heard that one.
0: Yeah. Cause it opens your pores. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Street smarts. <laughs> <I'm>
1: like, <laughs> again, this is kind of a mix of like, parts of it, you're like, wait, I know th- I know what you're doing there. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, saying, if there's a red ring, uh, you're not going to be able to heal it, because that's a sign of infection. Yeah. And also, honey does have antibacterial properties. Right. So putting it on a wound is kind of medieval neosporic. Well,
0: there's there's also, if you... And I've I learned this from my grandmother, who was a nurse during World War II... Nope, not World War II. Um, Korea and Vietnam. If you crack an egg there's a lining on the inside of it, which Mm -hmm. acts as a second skin. So if you have a cut, you can actually put that over the cut and it will work. But I don't know what an egg yolk or an egg white is going to do. I feel like there would be some medicinal property Mm -hmm. there. Like I, like my gut is telling me, yeah, that would make sense. Cause you know, girls do that for like hair masks, you know, you use an egg and honey and you put it all in a hair mask and your hair is silkier. But I don't know if that has a medicinal property.
1: I didn't even know there was such a thing as a hair mask.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The world of femininity (laughs) and hair care that I'm not very adept at, but I do know that.
1: My concern about the uh, antibacterial properties of honey is that I'm not sure if it works when you're putting it directly on someone's brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, doesn't the brain not feel things anyway? Like you can you can do brain surgery on a patient who's awake because they can't they can't feel anything.
1: I've heard that. I do not have any medical anything, so I don't know. So the only
0: thing that would hurt is if you're you know what's what's the word when they would like screw into somebody's brain? Trepanation. Yeah, if you're trepanning someone, then that would hurt. But I mean, if you're just pour an egg in someone's brain, it's, you know. <laughs> Just whisk it around and a cake. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. That's like what the ancient Egyptians did with mummies. You know, they would, like, stick a fork up somebody's nose and whisk it around and yeah. pour it out.
1: Yeah. Oh. Another concern is they figured out that you're supposed to cover it in cloth. Good call. Yeah. How long did that take? And how many ants got into someone's brain Before they realized they had to cover up the honey
0: Oh no No oh.
1: And does cloth keep them out well
0: enough Oh I don't Oh, I would be worried about like lice And oh Or ticks Ugh. Just think about the bugs you could have in open wounds back then Yeah Ugh. Oh small tip I do actually know about this one uh, the Vikings apparently would make really, really strong onion broth soup, and they would give it to warriors who had real bad wounds. And if you could mm. smell the onion from the wound, you knew they weren't going to make it because they had internal bleeding. That's
1: really clever.
0: Yeah. So I like it. Hot take there. <laughs> you know, real strong onion or garlic, I suppose, soup. Mm. So that would work. But I don't. I don't. Uh. Now I'm just thinking about bugs crawling in someone's brain.
1: I feel like that might also be something to adapt for a and d game. You could have a, a monster that's just someone being steered around by bugs in their brain.
0: Oh, that would be grody. Yeah. That's like some Underdark level right there. Yeah. That'd be pretty grody. That's a, that's a great D&D alternative to zombies. Yeah, I feel like the zombies are played out. Yeah, definitely. That'd be fun. You could do you could do an entire campaign like that. Trying to, like, trip people's heads and get the bugs out of their brain. <laughs> <laughs> that would be
1: an interesting campaign, I have to say.
0: <laughs> oh, no. You know, like, your entire party is just clerics. Oh, no. Casters without borders. <laughs> 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 clerics without borders, you know? <laughs> oh... Oh dear. Just some more ideas. Just some yep. more ideas. Casters to that boys.
1: Alright, so I'm pretty sure we're running out of time. Because I seem to remember you have stuff to do. Yes, just a bit. And my dog is getting agitated.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So should we call uh, call this one done? I
0: think we should. It's pretty good. Oh my gosh, these are fantastic stories. This is like the best idea that I've, like we've ever had. This is great. I'm so glad we're doing this.
1: Okay, uh, and listeners, uh, we'll see you next time with whatever Zoe is bringing yes. us, which I'm sure will be a delight oh, because yes. she's doing that uh, steepling thing with her fingers right now. Oh yes,
0: what is it? Maniacal? <laughs> maniacally? Yes. <laughs> Clearly, I am the mastermind.
1: You're doing something.
0: Maniacally. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, hopefully, it should be some more Irish stories. All right. Those are always good. So, all right, we'll see you next time. See <laughs> sure. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. For more geeky editions, or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. Check out her project "Sugar Glass" on Spotify. Because what I'm doing is I'm living at my coach's house, but yeah, I didn't seem
1: above for it. Yeah.